Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, it's January 26th. This is a Sunday. I'm going to have this released on Tuesday, but I'm going to try to get it uh, all queued up so that it's released on Tuesday because on Tuesday, Neil Fletcher and I are going to be at the Sundance Film Festival. Neil's flying out on Tuesday, and he'll be out here for a few days staying at the ranch with me and driving to Park City and back from the ranch, which is about a half an hour. I got an email from Rich Jardine of the Columbia Yacht Club, and he asked me if I'd give a presentation at the Yacht Club since I'm going back to South Bend in end of March and the 1st of April. And so we made an arrangement where I will be speaking at the Yacht Club, the Columbia Yacht Club, which is right on the Chicago waterfront. It's a big boat, which has been turned into a Yacht Club. And that will be May 27th. And I'm looking forward to that. I like uh, giving presentations. I'll probably basically modify the presentation I made for the Alta Club and add a few other things in there. But I don't think I'm going to reinvent the wheel since I have that one prepared. And I practiced that a few times. So I'm going to be basically driving from Salt Lake City across the country to South Bend, Indiana, and then from South Bend back to Chicago to give the presentation and then continue back to South Bend for how long it takes to finish up cleaning out my mother's house so we can put it on the market to sell. So going to Chicago. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. All right. Before we get on to the interview with Jackson and Xanthi, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. For over 50 years, Sailrite has been your authority in all things marine DIY. Do it yourself. What started as a mail-order correspondence course on sailmaking has grown into one of the largest online and catalog retailers for the marine industry. Sailrite stocks everything you need to sew for your boat. They are the only company that makes one design and custom sail kits. As a passionate group of DIYers, Sailrite's dedication to self-reliance at sea is proven in their products and services. Sailrite sells fabric, foam, supplies, and more, including the legendary portable and powerful Ultrafeed sewing machine. So you can be self-reliant and save money by sewing your own projects, from biminis to dodgers, sacrificial sail covers and sail bags, to interior and exterior seating and cushions. Sailrite brings you the best brands in the industry for unmatched product quality and professional-looking DIY results. With over 50 years of bringing you quality products, unparalleled service and support, and free how-to videos, Sailrite is a name you can trust. So you're probably wondering why I'm going to drive from Salt Lake to, to South Bend. And the answer to that is, well, number one, I don't know how long I'm, I'm going to need to be there. But probably the main reason I'm going to be driving, and I've done this drive many times over the years, I did it on motorcycle one time on a Yamaha 175 Enduro dirt bike from South Bend, Indiana to Utah State. I was a stupid young kid at the time. I've done it uh, by Jeep, a four-cylinder Jeep, which just rattled my bones. 
again, I was in college, stupid college kid, and many times driving back and forth, again, because my parents lived in South Bend, and, and my home is in Utah. But anyway, I'm driving back because, I, number one, I don't know how long I'm going to need to stay there. And number two, and the primary reason is because my mother had a hobby of making cut glass lamps and knickknacks, and she was very skilled at it. That was what kept her busy for many years. And she made many lamps and lots of things out of cut glass, just absolutely gorgeous. And we have a lot of them in our house that she gave to us over the years. And my daughters both have some of their their lamps that she's made, Tiffany-type lamps that she's made over the years. It's very difficult to ship cut glass lamps and keep them from breaking. So I think I'm going to uh, bring them out personally, pack them up in the car and bring them out. So that's the main reason. And then also I have wheels while I'm back there, and, and I'm flexible. When the job is done, I can hop in the car and head back home, head back to Utah. That's the reason I'm driving instead of flying. Normally I would fly back because it's so much more convenient. As it is, it's it's going to be a two-night trip there and a two-night trip back. Now it's a 24-hour drive, and I've done it straight through when I was young and foolish, but I'll be driving by myself, and I'll probably stop somewhere like mm, Lincoln, Nebraska, Either Laramie, Laramie, here's what I usually stop, uh, Laramie, Wyoming, or Cheyenne, but usually Laramie, and then Lincoln, Nebraska, or possibly Omaha, Nebraska, and then from there straight through to, uh, to South Bend. All right, let's get on to the first of two interviews, and hopefully another interview will follow these with Jackson and Xanthi on the boat Finding Avalon. All right. It's been a long time since I've talked to Jackson and Xanthi. Jackson, Crandall, and Xanthi. Xanthi, are you Crandall yet? I'm uh, soon to be. We actually just got engaged. Ah, so, almost. Con- congratulations. I'll Congra- be Zan Cran. All right. Well, uh, I've been following you on YouTube. It's Your YouTube channel is Finding Avalon. And I've been mm-hmm. yeah. uh, following you avidly as, uh, as you traveled through uh, well, you, you guys are now serious blue water sailors from the Mediterranean all the way to Australia. And the last time we talked, you were just on the on the west side of Panama, as I recall, and getting ready to head out across the Pacific. So we have a lot to catch up on. And let's just start from there. I'm going to open up my Google Earth and I'm going to follow your route as you uh, you continue across. Now, I've, I've wanted to point out to our listeners to watch some of your videos because you give some really great tips uh, and what I'm thinking of in particular was uh, when you're traveling through the Caribbean how expensive food was and you wish you had stocked up more in Europe before you did your crossing with uh, with a lot of your food items and my friend Jack Andrews is right now in the Canary Islands getting ready to cross as well and I think he uh, he topped off his food in Spain before he headed down as well so. yeah, yeah yeah jack's actually absolutely. jack's a patron of ours so um yeah w- w- we've been following what he's been doing as well and yeah i think the videos you're referring to jackson's done a little cruising tips series yeah for, he did the med and he's done the caribbean as well mm. yeah i guess it was just a bunch of information that i wish i'd learned along the way or at least knew before i'd left for the caribbean um 
because yeah, you really take for granted how easy cruising is in the med. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and we kind of just expected the Caribbean to be a bit more of a tropical version of the med with more white sand and palm trees. Yeah. Yeah. Just cheese, still the cheese boards, but with yeah. palm trees. Yeah. yeah but it turns out cheese is, not a thing in the Caribbean unless you rob a bank. Yeah, but I think our um, I think our last podcast, Franz, we basically yeah headed over the Atlantic, right, and arrived in the Caribbean. Right, Xanthi was out getting food or getting some more supplies, and you uh, you came on and and we had a nice yeah. long discussion, and uh, that that actually your episodes with me led me to discover that I wasn't getting a feed out into my. I recorded it, I loaded it up, and I could listen to it on the uh, on the website. And yeah. I wasn't getting an RSS feed out to iTunes. And I couldn't oh. figure it out, and I couldn't figure it out, and I couldn't figure it out. Well, in those episodes, I actually had some um, some HTML code in the show notes that uh, that precluded it going out. So once I discovered that, uh, then, then it went out. So now I don't put any of that specific type of html code into my show notes and uh, sure sure and so for some reason i think a lot of people did not get to listen to some of those episodes that really would enjoy them so i'm going to make sure i reference everybody back to those original episodes yeah great go listen to yeah definitely yeah so all right panama So should we start a panama all right yeah um well yeah geez panama was an experience in (laughs) itself wasn't it um, yeah, we when we when we arrived in Panama, we saw all the high rise buildings and everyone spoke great English. And we were like, "Great, we're going to get so much done here. It's going to yeah. be so easy." Yeah. So we arrived. Uh, firstly, we arrived uh, Atlantic side to mm-hmm. Shelter Bay Marina. Uh, we departed the BVIs, uh, the top there of the the Caribbean islands, uh, the British Virgin Islands, and it was about a clean thousand miles. Um, which took us about seven days down to Shelter Bay. Um, we probably experienced our, well, for me, some of the scariest seas that we had ever been in. Yeah, they were big and they were following seas as well, so they look even bigger when they're following you. Yeah, we had probably a good five-metre sea or so. Uh, as you come past the coast of Colombia, there's a static storm that kind of hangs out there. And, yeah, we woke up probably morning of day five and – yeah, we had a good five-meter sea um, that was often breaking, and the foam balls were definitely as tall as our cockpit. Um, so that was quite a scary sort of 24 hours in about 35 knots of five-meter seas. And at the time, we didn't actually know about this static storm that kind of sits outside Columbia permanently. I, I, I have never heard about that, so let's talk about that. Okay. Exactly. But apparently everyone knows about it apart from us, Franz. So, well, everyone hears um, about it once you're in Panama because everyone's been Yeah, exactly. But we, we were heading at such a speed to get out of there that I guess we didn't get time to catch on. But we'd seen it on the weather models about six days out, and we thought, oh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll take a chance on that. That's probably going to disperse. Uh, but it kind of stayed there um, very much so, and and kind of well, we were a good intensified. Hun- yeah, we were a good hundred miles off sort of the red zone on pre- predict wind mm-hmm. um, for those that use that platform. Um, so yeah, we were a good hundred miles off that, and we still had an easy thirty-five knots and five-meter seas, and uh, we actually met a boat 
that arrived in Shelter Bay the day before us. Um, and they were going from Columbia, actually, and they went basically through the middle of it, middle of it and they said they had up to more like 50 knots and seven or eight-metre seas. Yeah, so we got lucky. So, yeah, we, we were on the lucky side of that, and they were pretty rattled by uh, that. Um, so I'm looking at Google Earth. Where were you? Where did you depart from before you went by Columbia? What island? The BVI. So we were in the British okay. Virgin Islands. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. Um, one second, I'll just pull that up too. Road town, I think. Um, but what we'd heard from other cruises is that if you take a more inshore route, then it gets a bit more hairy and there's even logs that are coming out of river mouths and stuff. So we, we, were, we were good to take the more coast, sorry, the more offshore route. Yeah. So you might avoid it by going up towards Jamaica and then dropping down, or is that not one of the routes yeah, you might Yeah, spot take? on. Okay. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so I'm just looking down here when i say the inshore route i mean people coming more from curacao places right. like that yeah. mm -hmm. they they get hit really bad with it so the more so you can come down from the north as opposed to from the east to the west that's probably better then yeah definitely because that static storm um hangs out off sort of cartagena cartagena and yeah. barranquilla barranquilla okay so you kind of, yeah, and it, I mean, it's kind of, it's constantly um, growing and shrinking. So, you know, there's definitely times when that's extending 500 miles offshore and times when that's just off the coast. But yeah, anyway, so that made definitely an interesting, an interesting entry into Panama. So I guess, I guess that sort of takes Colombia off the path of a lot of sailors then. I mean, is um, that storm is always there. Do very many sailors visit Colombia? I think there are definitely ways to get around it. There, mm. there are weather windows when mm -hmm. it's less intense. Mm. We certainly met a few cruisers who went there and, and they recommend it. So mm. it can't be too bad. Mm. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, it used to have such a bad reputation for pickpockets, but I think they're overcoming that right now. And so. Yeah, it's... we've heard nothing but great things. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting, but there's not that many places. I guess you can hide out in Aruba or Caraco and then head on over. Correct. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. everyone says that those places are amazing. And then there is uh, some kind of dock, some kind of port in Colombia that, that people have been talking about around Cartagena, mm. which sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, I just I remember the movie Romancing the Stone, and it was set in uh, Colombia. Oh. That's yeah. such a good film. Isn't that a great flick? Yeah, it's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they were in Cartagena. They spent. They did a lot of the filming in in the port of Cartagena. It looked like. So. I didn't know that. That's yeah. where it's filmed. Okay, I'll have to go back and watch that again. There's so many movies that we want to go back and watch. You know, Cast, <laughs> yeah, Cast yeah. Away being one of them. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. All right. So avoid that storm. So everybody heading yeah, over there. Yeah, avoid that storm. So, so yeah. head up towards. Uh, Oh, the Dominican Republic or over to Jamaica and then head down Correct. from there. Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. All Good right. Tip. So we, um, yeah, so we made our way into Shelter Bay Marina, which is the Atlantic side of Panama. Near, It's like on the opposite side of the bay to Colón. Okay. Um, down there. 
really good little marina. Um, yeah, it's got a good vibe because everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone's there because they're going to go through the canal, so mm-hmm. you make lots of friends. Yeah. And there's a resident crocodile. Resident crocodile in the marina. He was on yeah. our dock, actually. Monkeys up in the trees. Monkeys and sloths. And in sloths the trees. around. Yeah. So, yeah, the wildlife was awesome. Um, so, that looks like but, a medium sized marina. Do you have any trouble finding a spot in that marina? No. No, and we it's, were fine. it's actually, yeah. it's supposed to be the safest marina. Um, that side of the hurricane belt. So well, it, look, it, it, lo- it looks safe. It's just that I'm wondering if there's that many people that it fills up and so you have a... Sp- well, that's that's the thing. It's so popular for that reason, but there was lots of space. Okay. There was lots of space and it is pretty transient, Franz. Like there's a lot of people sort of just stopping in for a day or two mm-hmm. trying to get through the canal. So you definitely find people just camped out for a week or so organizing their canal transit mm-hmm. and then they're kind of through. Um it looks but like there's look, a it looks like there's a yeah. boatyard too. I'm zooming in and I see a boatyard right there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, friends were up there. So are people yeah. storing their boat there over the hurricane season as well? Yep, yep, plenty of storage there. Okay. Um, the only thing I would be telling people to think about was the humidity, oh, because God. the the <laughs> second we turned up to Panama. All of a sudden, just mold started growing everywhere yeah, in the get boat. Like, exit mold, and then you'll be fine. And that didn't leave us until we were about ten degrees wet, uh, south of the. Like that followed us all the way to Galapagos. Really, that mold. Yeah, we weren't prepared for it. We thought something was wrong with the boat because everything <laughs> was all wet constantly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, just kind of halfway through the crossing between BVIs and Panama. And then we got to Panama and realized, oh, wait, this is Panama. Yeah, just the humidity. So definitely, if you're going to be storing your boat there, have some uh, have a strategy around that. Yeah, but- we had one friend who actually connected a dehumidifier uh, to his boat for while he was away, and he yeah. said he had no problems. Okay, yeah. so but that takes electricity running all the time. It too. does, but he was willing to pay for that. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, it looks like there's a couple yards there that might be room for uh, quite a few people because I've always thought if I – if I decided to move my boat from the Med to the Caribbean, I'd want to basically get out of the hurricane zone and just store mm. it for uh, for a period of time. Mm. Yeah, probably, yeah. Probably it was, summer. and it was definitely the cheapest, um, sort of one of the cheapest marinas that in that area. And I know in terms of our friends who hauled out an anti fouled, it was cheaper than the Med to be hauling out and anti fouling there. Hmm. And the staff were so friendly and yeah. helpful. And we kind of wish, in retrospect. We were probably just a few months early because um, we actually ended up hauling the boat out further down in the South Pacific. Well, I watched um, that one video of you doing that, and that looked pretty miserable too when you did that. In the South Pacific? Yeah, it looked like it was awfully hot. You looked awfully hot. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was super that. hot, yeah. <laughs> but that was an experience. I mean, you're in a, like a white sandy atoll and like hauling the boat out on a trailer. Like, there's yeah, no cranes was- or anything on site. Heaven. I mean, if that could be my office every day, I'll um, take it. Yeah, I mean, driving the boat into literally, I think the keel was maybe 10 centimetres or a few inches off the bottom of the sand, and they just keep coming, keep coming. You're yeah, like, oh, my God. Really? It was, and there was sharks <laughs> swimming under the boat as well. It was it was actually really cool having a, a beach and being able to swim in between boat yeah. work and actually being able to snorkel. So that was amazing. But I will say, so for those that are thinking about going to the South Pacific, you're at the end of the Caribbean season. I think Shelter Bay is a great spot to get the boat ready, especially if you're going to be doing the Galapagos. 
um, because you have to make sure your boat is absolutely spotless, not one barnacle, nothing. Mm-hmm. And so we were cleaning our boat. We cleaned it three times leading up to Galapagos. You know, we leave, cleaned it before we left, uh, during and even like a final little touch up when we were there because, you know, basically if you get caught with anything on the boat, um, on the hull, that would make you sail, I think it was 100 miles back offshore with a professional diver to clean the boat, blah, blah, blah. Oh, so, really? Oh. Yeah. So if you're going to be doing Galapagos and you're thinking, oh, I've probably got a few months left in this antifowl, you know, I'll do it a bit further down the track, I reckon just do it there in Shelter Bay. Okay. <laughs> Save yourself so. Pain. so you wouldn't do it on the other side. You'd do it on that side of the uh, – Yeah, I'd do it Shelter Bay. So yeah, I, yeah. Okay. sure. And also with Shelter Bay, the provisioning aspect was really good because they have a little shuttle bus that takes you to the supermarket. And if you spend more than, I think it's $200 in the supermarket, the owner of the supermarket will drive you home. Yeah. So it's such a good option for provisioning, just a huge shop and know that you've got a free ride. What were the costs like for provisioning? Amazing. Good. Yeah, so okay, this is good. definitely the All point. Right. Um so, yeah, look, for us, provisioning in Panama was massive. We we were kind of stocking back up again um, for the rest of the South Pacific. So we'd kind of learn our lesson, as you were referencing before, Franz, of not doing enough in Spain when we were there. And then again, not doing enough when we were in the French islands in the Caribbean. Uh, so, yeah, being in Panama was definitely a really nice, a nice change of reasonable priced food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and good South American wines at good prices as well. Yeah, okay. stock up on your alcohol. Um, but we to put in, we had a hire car, and I think you would have done three full loads of food in that car. Like, And there's only two of you, you oh, and Alexa. Yeah. So we put a lot of food on the boat, which definitely served as well throughout the South Pacific. Like, we probably even arrived here with stuff. Oh, definitely. Still getting through it. Um, so, yeah, for, for those who are, you know, heading out to the South Pacific, just keep stocking up your bilges with all your dry goods, your cans, um, your rices, your pastas, all that kind of stuff. Anything that you can store long term, do it now because those things, just simple pasta was probably four times the price. Oh, once we got... And you always think of pasta as being something cheap you can buy anywhere. Something too. cheap, yeah. Yeah, we really had to, to change our thinking yeah. of cheap food yeah. at that point. Um, so definitely um, I couldn't recommend more doing that. But um, look, in terms of cruising as well, so we arrived to Panama. We did all our check-in, getting cruising permits, which uh, i got to say is quite a process um being there with that kind of bureaucracy uh it was expensive i think it cost us probably 300 us or so to check in um and to get cruising permits and all kinds of stuff like that just just for panama then right just for panama yeah so that's your entry into the country um and look it is done there at the marina Mm-hmm. But their kind of check-in process is—it's all on Caribbean time, um, in the sense that the port captain might turn up or he might not. 
So we were there waiting three days for the port captain to turn up to finally sign off on all our documents, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you, so, so you, let me get this straight. Yep. You sailed into Shelter Bay and that's where you cleared in then, right? Correct. Yep. And, but, but during that three day period of time, were you confined to your boat or anything? No. Okay. No, no. Okay. No. They, they let you, um, do whatever you want. Um, that, I mean, everyone there in the, the staff are pretty, uh, accustomed or they're, they're pretty welcoming in terms of they know what the process is and, that is not regular, do you to need say to, the least. Do you need to hire an agent or anything, or did you just do it by yourself then? So you can just do it by yourself to clear in mm-hmm. uh, and to get your cruising permit, but I would definitely recommend getting an agent for your canal transit. So from Shelter Bay, you also organize quite easily your canal transit from there. Uh, we had been in contact with our agent a good six to eight weeks before we turned up uh, because depending on when you are there, you can have up to four to six weeks delay um, in terms of getting a, a position or a time to get through that lake, uh, to get through the canal, sorry. So we had our agent um, and organized all that quite early because um, there is a bit of paperwork and all that, a few formalities. And then once you arrive in Panama, the agent was a godsend in terms of organizing everything. So you need to get a uh, an inspector. They mm-hmm. call him the ad measurer. Uh, so he'll turn up to the dock. He will measure your boat um, and basically give you your pass. So he'll he'll finally measure the boat, give make sure and do all the inspections, do all the um, formalities to make sure that you have the right kind of cleats, that you have the right um, power, that you know that your boat can go five knots, that you have the right resources on board to uh, be able to go through the canal. And once you get that pass, then you're good to go. Um, your your um, your agent also organises things like the lines and the fenders, so you need to be carrying four four different lines with you, each of them being like a hundred meters long or something like a super long, thick lines that most boats probably don't carry. Um, and also organizing really big fenders. Oh, we recommend you do that. Some people don't do that. And I think it's madness. Just yeah. get the fenders. Get the boats fenders. do so crash you, into the wall. Did we you, saw it. Did you have to buy the lines and the fenders or did you just borrow them? You just rent them. Okay. Yeah. You just it's rent not them. much at all. Okay. And it's it really is a seamless process. I they mean, come like, back on a boat and take them off you when you come through the canal. You don't yeah. have to return them to anyone. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, it's a super seamless process. You do pay a bit. I think our agent cost us three hundred and fifty US. Okay. Worth every penny. Yeah, but I think for the ease of it, um, and for those who were trying to do the transit themselves, like in terms of organizing the transit themselves. It is definitely possible, but expect it to take a few days of time and you also have to go around. The worst bit of it was that you're going around dodgy parts of the city with large amounts of money. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And, and so it, and that it's was all cash it too, isn't it? It's all cash then. Yep, yeah, all cash. But you can pay your agent with cards, so it's just much safer. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. what is the currency in Panama? Do they have their own currency? Yeah, they do. They've got Panamanian dollars. Okay. But they also um, 
but they also accepted us i don't know they were, they were kind of working both weren't they? yeah <laughs> they were okay. yeah yeah okay um but before we go through the canal i mean the the one little bit that i think all cruisers need to get to is the San Blas islands ah okay. so so our little so what we did was we arrived in panama we cleared in we organized our canal uh-huh. And the time when we when, when we organized our canal transit, there was a two-week lead time before we could go through. Mm-hmm. So that meant in that two weeks, we then um, backtracked a bit further north and we picked up some guests and made our way back over to the San Blas. Um, and we spent about two weeks in the San Blas and then returned back into Shelter Bay and went straight through the canal in a day. So that way we weren't hanging around in shelter bay for two weeks oh yeah so um, does that is that sort of the typical lead time you come in and it's going to take two weeks before you're going through well we actually got offered a transit the week after we yeah. we'd, um solicited but we asked him can you push it back another week because we want to spend those two weeks going to the sand blast mm-hmm. yeah okay. there was that as santhi said there was a there was a someone had dropped out so there was a little a spot that came up but generally when we were there it was about a two-week lead time um to get our spot through okay i'm just measuring how far it is to uh to get to the san blas islands that's about 81 nautical miles was there a stop yeah it's really doable yeah Yeah, so we stop over at the top at uh port alindo wasn't it port alindo yeah okay yeah so you'll see a little island there called uh isla grande linton island Okay, so oh yeah, Isla Grande is near there as well. But okay. the the place it's called there's Linton Bay Marina if you want to stay in a marina, mm-hmm. or there's a lovely anchorage right next to it. Yeah, so okay. we just um, anchored and off. you can order pizza over VHF, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about halfway. So that's about forty miles away from uh, from uh, Colon, the Colon Bay, right? Or, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Okay. So we just did that in about a day. Mm-hmm. We sailed back up. Uh, we stayed there a few days in Linton Bay Marina. Our guests met us there. And then we just did a pretty easy day sail um, from there over to the Sandbass to uh, El Provenir. Was Provenir. Provenir. Thank you, sir. Okay. Which is... Okay, there's the yeah. marina. Now I'm zooming in on it. Yeah, there's lots of anchorages around that island, too. Let's heaps, see. heaps, yeah, yeah. There's lots of boats anchored in this image i'm looking at so okay yeah so uh from there you head over now was there any did you have to get any special cruising permits for the san blas islands or anything like that so you can organize that you have to do that when you get to el provenir so they have an autonomous community there it's actually um a really it's an in it's an intact indigenous community uh, and th- so they have their own operation running and you have to pay them for a cruising permit. It's not very much though, was it? No, I think it was only 20 US. Or 20 something. US each per person. Per person, yeah. And then 20 for the boat. They count the boat as a person. Yeah. Okay, so um, it's not that expensive then. No. No, no, no. And I've got to say, still to date, I think the Sandblast was one of our highlights. Yeah, it was exquisite. Just absolutely pristine. Um, it was it was a little bit of a challenge to navigate. So our Navionics charts show very very little detail of uh, the area. And Eric Bauer. 
Hull House book, which was a lifesaver. Yeah, the one recommended book that everyone is like, the Bible of the Sandblast is by Eric Bauhaus. Okay. Um, and in that, he's got charts that he's basically mapped out himself with GPS waypoints. Yeah, I was so, actually going to ask you that question. What were the cruising guides you used for the Caribbean, uh, the crossing mm-hmm. of the Atlantic, and any specific for the areas you've traveled in? If yeah, you, uh, we used the Doyle's ones for the Caribbean, which were okay. really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think everyone uses those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then in terms of the Atlantic, because we were part of the ARC Rally, mm-hmm. um, they gave us a very substantial guidebook with all kinds of online links and stuff like that. So I didn't actually get my own, like a, a separate um, cruising guide for the Atlantic, but just because the ARC provided us with so much information. Um, but yeah, okay. we, yeah. Okay. And this one you talked about for the Sandblast was by Eric Braunhager Hunger. Bauhaus. B A U H A U S. U H A F F. Okay, good. U S. H A U S. House. Bauhaus. Yes. S, not F. Okay, Bauhaus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think those, he's yeah. lived there for he's he's been cruising around Panama for like forty years or something, and he goes back there every year to rechart it. So yeah. he knows what he's talking about. Old Eric, the book's really good. So if you had to do it over again, and you had yep. the time, would you spend more time in the Sandblast? Oh yeah, definitely. We would definitely because we only got to scratch the surface of the Sandblast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just did the two popular island groups that were a little bit closer, but you can go way out. Because it's such a vast space, and there are kind of more isolated parts of it, mm-hmm. and there are there are lots of places there that don't have crocodile. Most of it doesn't have crocodiles, which is amazing because you can actually <laughs> swim without worrying about things. Well, you're from Australia; you're used to that all the time, anyway, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Very wary of them. <laughs> exactly. That's why we're wary of them. Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's a good tip. So get over there, use that as part of your cruising. If you're, uh, or you may just go there and clear in and do the do the uh, San Blas Islands if you're not planning on doing an, a Pacific crossing. Just yeah, spend a whole season there. Mm, so that's why you would recommend then clearing into that Shelter Bay Marina and then uh, doing your cruising out outside of that. Okay. Yeah. Look, that we found that the easiest uh, because we were. Because we we're on a bit of a tight deadline mm-hmm. to get through the canal and all of that, we didn't want to be delayed by weeks and weeks. So we found it easiest to just arrive there, shelter bay, organize all our stuff, go out cruising for another two weeks, come back through the canal. Um, and then once you're on the Panama City side, mm-hmm. I mean, there's far more resources that side, I think, anyway. Okay. Um, if you're then talking about preparation for the Pacific. All right. So, so was the uh, was the transit through the canal fairly uneventful then? Yeah. Look, I, it's uh, it's an incredible experience. I mean, there, it somewhat feels unorganized, but yeah. it is highly organized. Um, obviously, we we had a pilot in training and an advisor that came on the boat, which apparently you don't normally get two people. Mm. But we got two people for okay. both sessions. For both sessions. So basically the way it works is uh, you get called up on the radio at about 11 o'clock on the day that they advise, you know, let's say tomorrow the 10th is your transit. 
Um, so be on VHF channel something something on by 11 o'clock. Uh, they call you on the radio and they say, yep, your advisor will be dropped off to you uh, at 3 o'clock and you're, you need to be in the first lock by 4 o'clock or something like that. So does the advisor come to the marina or do you have to pick him up somewhere else then? No. So you it, anchor outside the marina. Okay. It's quite an experience picking him up because he arrives on this big tugboat kind yeah. of thing <laughs> with huge fenders around it and they, they basically charge at your boat and he jumps off. And I'm sure that goes wrong sometimes. I'm sure it does, but they're also just they're amazing uh, captains because Precision. they were, you know, a centimeter from the boat with this huge tug, um, but didn't touch the boat. And then they leave the yeah. same way as yeah. well. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> um, and then we were also advised at the time that we would be rafted up with two other boats, okay. so two other yachts. Um, so they were in the marina at the same time as us, so we got to meet them. Well, one of the other yachts, we got to meet with them. Um, and then, yeah, as you're sort of coming towards the first lock, the advisors are on the radio and they're talking to each other about the configuration mm -hmm. of how you'd be rafted up. And we were going in behind a big cruise ship as well. So there was two sailing yachts and then there was a powerboat. And the powerboat had something like, you know, two 300 horsepower outboards on the back. So what they did was they put the powerboat in the middle mm -hmm. and the two yachts either side. And so we're rafted up as a little threesome there. Mm -hmm. And then we, um, we all go through. And the powerboat is the one who is steering and powering everyone through to oh, the middle boat. Okay, okay. So you are rafted all the way through, not just as you go in and you raft up and then you continue on, but you're rafted all the way through then. So you, you're rafted through the first three locks. Okay. And then once you get into the lake, then you disperse. And spend the night anchored. Yeah. Okay. We could we had to spend the night anchored because our transit was the next day, and it, you know it took us quite a few hours to motor through. Whereas the power boat was able to just motor through the lake at thirty knots, and he was able to get through to the Pacific side that day. Yeah, it, it's luck of the draw. You, you either get that the system that we had, which apparently is the best one, or you do go through the you keep going through the canal at night. Mm. But I'd find that quite hard personally because you don't get to sleep. Oh yeah. 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 Um but yeah, look, I would say the only thing that I found a challenge um logistically in the locks was that the advisors the advisors are great, but they do say to you before you start that at the end of the day you are the captain of the ship that we are here to advise, you know, we've done this hundreds of times and we can advise you on the best way forward, but you are the captain for your ship and your crew. And between the three boats, that means you've got three captains, three advisors, and three pilots <laughs> all yelling different things oh, in heated moments. Fight. Okay. So my biggest word of advice is to appoint someone right in the beginning as you are the leader of this and everyone listens to you. And we all give advice to you and then you decide because there were moments in those locks when our raft started drifting sideways um, 
unfortunately for the boat who was on the starboard side of the raft, and they were getting pretty close to the wall. Uh-huh. And we've got nine people all yelling different instructions, um, of which, you know, for every person in that situation, there's a wrong di- wrong thing going on and a right thing going on. So, and while that's happening, there's one guy yelling that, the girls shouldn't be using the ropes. They should be sitting drinking champagne. And it was, it was just all a bit of a dogfight. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm, I'm looking at the canal, and there's two canals now. There's the new canal, which takes yeah. the Panama Max, and yep. then there's the old, the old canal, which looks like it has people uh, going both directions. Uh, which one did you guys go in? We went through the old one. The old yep. one, okay, where there's... Yep. Where there's basically locks on both sides of you, right? One going Correct. one direction and one going the other direction. Correct. Okay. Yep. All right. Okay. Um, but yeah, look, I got to say, it went off pretty seamless. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's quite an experience having your boat being elevated up above sea level. Um, I think I can't remember how much we rise. I don't know. I feel like it was. 20 meters or something like that. Okay. Like you go up pretty high, like each locks the height of the mast so, up into the next one. So how far did you motor through on the lake to get to the next locks or did you? So it's about 30 miles. Okay. So you got to move, you got to be moving then. You're not yes. dallying up there too long if you've got to get moving the next day down the other side then, right? Correct. Yeah. So we, we went through the first set of locks at about four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we were through by about five o'clock. Mm-hmm. 5.30, we anchored there overnight and the advisors and the pilot, would they uh, jump off the boat overnight and then they come back on the boat at about 7 a.m. I think mm-hmm. we got started okay. and yeah, so we got about a 30, yeah, we were motoring all day, um, which the day before as well, we had engine problems mm. the day of our transit. Um, where because of the humidity, as we were saying before with the mold, we actually also got the diesel bug, um, and started getting the algae in the tank. Oh, you, had you been using biocide all the time or not? No, no, no I okay. hadn't. Okay. Yeah. Jack and I yeah. talked about that last week. He said, make sure you're always putting biocide in your tank, which I always have. That's yeah. a good piece of advice. Yeah. yeah. I had definitely heard people obviously recommending that and doing it, and I just hadn't done it, Yeah, yeah. Um, which was a mistake on my part for sure. And, I mean, I definitely didn't, you know, before any big passage or anything like that, I was always redoing my filters and whatnot, and it was always clean as, like not even a speck of anything. Mm-hmm. And then as we were making our way down from the sandblast back to – Shelter Bay, we started having engine problems, and that was when I checked the filters and realized that we had algae in there. Uh, so that made for a bit of a stressful night and day. But thankfully, Avalon got through um, because it is pretty hefty fines. Um, to then, Because basically, they've got to get a tug into the canal to then come and tow you through the canal. And the expense of that yeah. is well. Let me ask. Serious. Let me ask you a question. How did you kick the yeah. bug? How did you kick the algae problem then? What did you do to solve that problem? Um, so day of, we filled up the tanks to a hundred percent to mm-hmm. make sure that any algae at the top 
you know, any of the algae was more at the top than at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I did a filter change that morning of before we went through the um, through the locks, and then the morning of through the through the lake, I did another filter change um, just to make sure we hadn't caught anything, which was looking okay. And then once we were in through the locks and out the other side, um, basically we took out all the diesel, mm -hmm. all the fuel, put new fuel in, and just got a biocide. That's when I okay. bought the biocide. Okay. Um, sorry, sorry. I put the biocide in into the full tank of fuel right, yeah. on the Pacific side, left it, and then took all that fuel out, okay. which wasn't that much. Yeah. Um, and the biocide, I mean, I've got biocide that I bought before I crossed the Atlantic, and I still haven't gone through a whole whole bottle of it because it takes just a fraction oh, yeah. amount. It lasts forever. Just a fraction. Yeah. yeah I mean, like a sh the shock treatment was... I think it was only like 10 mils or something yeah. for the shock treatment and outside. So I always use it now. Yeah. Religiously use it now. So now I, you know, I've got two fuel filters on my boat um, yeah. for exactly this reason, that if one fuel yeah. filter clogs up, I can switch immediately to the other fuel filter and clean out the one fuel filter literally while underway. So yeah. that's... that. I did that after uh, my engine went out one time in an inconvenient time, and it was a fuel problem. It's always a fuel problem. Always a fuel problem. Always yeah. a fuel problem, yeah. I would also recommend getting, um, you know, the Raycor filters with the clear bulb on it. Mm -hmm. uh, our boat didn't have one, doesn't have one, um, and I'm going to look to put one here now that I'm in Oz. Yeah. Because um, to be honest, I couldn't find – the right one there in Panama. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I would really recommend, as you said, having two pri – are you talking about your primary fuel filters as well? you got two primary yeah, got, and here's a, It goes from my tank up to my two Raycor filters. i got two Raycor filters yep. with clear bottoms so I can see yep. what's going on in there, and I can switch from one one fuel filter to the other fuel filter or have them both on. So yeah, And then it goes from there down to my fuel lift pump and then through my – uh, engine fuel filter and then into yep. the injectors from there. So that's, yep, that's perfect. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the dream setup, I think. Yeah. Well, there's a friend of mine who was a commercial fisherman and he said, yeah, you always have two fuel filters because you never yep. know, you know, cause it's always a fuel problem. It's always dirty always. fuel that clogs up something that, that shuts down your engine. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So we get through the canals now coming down, um, Again, it's like it looks like three or four locks on the way down too. Is that about right? Correct. You go through three locks on your way down, um, and there's the big Panama Museum and like a restaurant and everything. So you've got a couple of hundred people there watching you as you're um, <laughs> going down, and Xanthi's trying to tie a bowline in front of them all and yeah, under pressure. Talk about pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but Xanth uh, nailed it. You did really well, and um, yeah. So you basically you go through your locks. Um, down the bottom and then yeah you're out you're in the pacific ocean and it's it's quite daunting being the small boat because i mean everything there is just huge container ships it's such a busy port mm -hmm. um running by clockwork so yeah as as the little boat you kind of try to get out of there as quick as possible and we actually made our way down to uh a little marina as you go through there's flamenco marina La Playita. And La Playita, yeah. Okay. We just anchored out there. 
for a couple of weeks, didn't we? Yeah. So that's where we were stationed. So there's two marinas right out on the tip. Are those the two marinas you're talking about? That's it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. They're so, right across from each other. Okay. Yeah. So we anchored outside La Playita Marina. Um, you can see a few boats just anchored there. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And we stayed there for two weeks as we got the boat ready. Yeah, it was a good anchorage. Yeah, it was good anchorage. I mean, the marinas there were really quite expensive. Um, so I think if... And I mean, we just motored around to Flamenco to fill up with fuel and water before we left for okay, Galapagos. So you, so you could, you um, never had to go into the marinas and pay the marina fees there. You just anchored them. Correct. No. But they do charge your dinghy dock fee. Oh, um, oh yeah. Okay. There's a very angry man there, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I got in trouble for using the dinghy dock illegally um, and was very promptly made to pay. Um, but yeah, look, I think it was definitely worth it and we hired a car for the two weeks basically which was really affordable to hire to have a hire car yeah let's not talk about how stressful driving through panama was okay? <laughs> yeah. so okay so 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 yeah. you felt comfortable enough at your anchor to leave your boat and go go drive around then yeah there's so, lots of people watching yeah. okay lot, we, okay you make lots of friends there yeah. everyone's everyone's on the same route doing the same thing Lots of lots of Australians and Kiwis over that side of the hemisphere as well. So, yeah, okay. yeah we're making lots of friends. Are you talking in terms of like boat security, Franz, or are you talking in terms of like dragging of storm coming dragging. up and oh, dragging? It's, it's all mud. Yeah, okay. it was yeah. Super so it's really good holding. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, we, yeah, as I said, we had no problem, and basically the winds, the prevailing winds were coming from the north mm-hmm. and so you're really protected on that flamenco oh sorry on the la playita side okay on the uh, uh, south side of that island and yeah but it was not windy at all it was super thick mud um and as anthony said we we made some friends there in the anchorage and quite often people would say oh we're heading out for the day you know if you see anyone a little bit dodgy approaching the boat maybe uh go and ask them what they're doing or uh, just keep an eye out, you know, for the boats. So, yeah, it was a pretty good little community there. All right. That's great. Okay. Yeah. So you were there for quite a while getting your last bit of provisions and you did a did a bit of a land travel then, huh? Yeah, we did a little bit of land travel. We went to the sail loft. We actually drove back to Shelter Bay Marina because yeah. we needed to use the sail maker. But <laughs> okay. it, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it was a really easy drive and... And yeah. the sail the sailmaker did a great job, so it was worth it. It was one of those things, I guess, because we were so busy um, before we went through the canal, you know, on the on the Pacific side, I finally got the chance to do a really good boat check, you know, of everything we needed to do. And as I was looking at the sails, I started realizing that the luff tape and the leech tape was starting to really degrade and... Um, we just had a few patches in the sail that needed to be done up, especially, I guess my mindset was between Panama and the next stop, which is really the which is really Tahiti, mm-hmm. which is the first point of call, um, we've got about 5,000 miles to do. Right. Oh, I'm so glad we did it. Yeah, so you've got about 1,000 miles to Galapagos, 3,000 miles from Galapagos to the Marquesan Islands, and then at least another thousand miles between Marquesan Islands and uh, Tahiti. So, 
at that point, I'm trying to think, you know, I don't want to be at any of that point with sales that aren't working, um, you know, that are ripping and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. for me, it was, um, it was a super busy two or three weeks trying to prep the boat to get it ready. Um, so yeah, we did, we ended up having that car and drove all the way back to shelter Bay to drop off the sails. Okay. Hey, um, I want to, I want to, I wanted to, uh, thank you for talking to me about your, um, your roller furling problem that you had. Because remember, oh, yeah. you had your jammed up roller furling yeah. because a, uh, a screw had come loose. Yeah. And it was a, as I recall, it was a, uh, this was a Furlex gear, right? Yep. Yep. Well, this summer on my boat, I thought, I better go forward and check those those nuts out on my roller furling. I went forward and my uh, my screws were loose. Both of them were loose. Oh, no way. Really? There exactly. You go. And so the people who put it up just did not tighten it down. They just didn't. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and it takes a special Torx screwdriver to do it so i had uh, i tightened it as much as i could with a pair of pliers which was not tight enough yep. and i had a friend bring out a set of torque screw bits to uh, tighten it up so yeah perfect so i, I did mean you that, put a bit of lock nut or something on no that i didn't lock? have any loctite yeah. but i've tightened it down pretty tight and i'll be checking it yeah. again when i go back again so i didn't have any loctite with me i did have it but i just didn't go dig it out for, sometimes it's more trouble to find stuff than it's worth but yeah uh, definitely but anyway, so yeah, I wanted to give you a heads up on that. I oh, thanks. Good. <laughs> yeah, good. So, okay. So we've been going about 47 minutes right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could talk forever. I'm going to stop this uh, episode, and if you guys still have some time, we'll continue on with the next episode. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Quite a All bit right. of time. Okay, I'm just going to uh, stop it, and we'll restart in a second. Yep. All right, thank you for listening. If you would do me a big favor, go into the iTunes directory and write a review. I beg you of this all the time, and I'm as guilty as everybody else. I listen to great podcasts, and I don't write reviews very often. I should, but I'm asking you to write a review. If you like this podcast, support the podcast. And the ways you can support the podcast is, well, number one, writing a review in your podcast directory. Number two, buying some of my audio products. I have audio lessons for the ASA 101, the 103, and the 104. And the other way is to become a Patreon. If you'd like to become a Patreon, go to patreon.com backslash medsailor and become a Patreon. I really appreciate those of you who choose to support me with cold, hard cash. All right, thanks a lot. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel? Do you have something to tell me? No, I... I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Apparently, uh, you two had quite a meeting. Princeton can use a guy like Joel. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joel. His exact words. It's unbelievable. You're as good as in. 
I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you? Every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck? And take some chances. You are so right. You've made me very proud.